everyone. Welcome to the Women's Playbook. This is a show by and for women entrepreneurs and for everyone else. It's your guide to doing business in the growing she economy. That is the women around the world who are spending, saving, investing, and generating revenue. I'm the host, Joanna L. Croats, and today I'm stirring the pot on a controversy that's been around for years, but lately, like any critical mass, has been overflowing its borders. And that is the role of women in the technology industry. So let me run down this gruesome threesome for you. First, too few, way too few women are working in the industry than you'd imagine at this stage of women's engagement in the 21st century. For instance, although women fill close to half of all U.S. jobs, they hold less than 25%. That's a quarter of jobs in the STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math sectors. And this is true for the past 10 years, even as college-educated women increased their share of the overall workforce and now earn more degrees than men do, both undergrad and graduate. Second, women are leaving the technology industry at double the rate that men do, and that's a staggering 56%. And they're leaving usually, typically, when they hit mid-career levels, when their talent would be the most useful to employers in an industry that is complaining about being short, chronically short, of skilled workers. Three, worst of all, and absolutely the biggest reason I'm taking on this issue today on the show, is the reports that keep surfacing of how women in technology are harassed in offices, groped at conferences and in elevators, hit on at client presentations, asked about babies and dating at job interviews, and find pornography on their desktops, on their screens, if they leave their desks unattended for just a few minutes. Whoa. So today, I'd like to sort through the facts and Twitter streams to identify just what women are feeling and doing about all this. Plus, although women's hurdles may be more visible in the technology industry, we all know and have experienced some version of similar behavior and attitudes in most other fields. I came up in media and journalism. I've been at a slew, half dozen national magazines, and I've certainly gone through this. I've often been the only woman in the room at editorial meetings, at job interviews, where there are a group of people talking to me, and the hostility is palpable. There's a lot of tension. So to work at clearing these hurdles and developing strategies to help women both cope and change the equations, I've invited two women as guests who live and work on technology's front lines, and they know firsthand what's going on. First, Sabrina Majid is a product designer at BuzzFeed, the online social news and entertainment portal based in New York. You can contact Sabrina by her Twitter handle, at Sabrina. And Ashley Schwartz, founder and CEO of Furious Minds, also New York-based, that's furious-minds, M-I-N-D-S, dot com, which is an advertising technology collective. She's going to have to tell us what that collective part means. And that focuses on the business models that are changing TV and online videos. We all know this is now being disrupted with a, with a serious force. Again, to reach, to reach Ashley, furious-minds.com. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great to be here. It is good. So let me start with you, Sabrina, and the About Feminism manifesto that you recently wrote and posted with eight of your women colleagues. Um, and you can read all about this. I was kind of amazed and energized when I first read it. And you can read this post at aboutfeminism.me, about 
feminism.me. So tell us a little about how that came to pass and why you participated in it and how bad it is, really. Sure. Um, Well, I've been having a lot of sort of smaller conversations on the side with two or three of the women who are involved in the larger post. And then there was a series, a series of really, I guess, bad events for women in the tech industry. There is an incident with allegations against GitHub. There are allegations tell, about... Tell us what those were for, for people who don't oh, know what yeah, the allegations sure. are. What were they um, like? A female software engineer who worked at GitHub left the company and just sort of like aired out a lot of grievances about sexist things she had experienced while she was working there. And that's one of the tech, com- or tech industry's most beloved companies. So that was kind of like a hard hit for the industry. What were the incidents like? Do you know? Um, well, there were some things particularly with the CEO of GitHub and his wife and sort of like more, not sexual harassment, but just like bullying, I think, in the workplace between the two of them and this female engineer. There was also a male coworker of hers who she claims ripped out the code, like her code, and replaced it with his own, <laughs> things like that. So yeah. what what led to this um, posting that detailed not just that but about I don't know six or seven other incidents and was was really heartfelt. Yeah. Well, after all these incidents happened, I think a lot of us were frustrated at the way that, regardless of whether the allegations were true, the way women were being treated for speaking up about it at all. Like they were just like really being even like further harassed by the internet at large and by other people in the industry. And one of, one of the women, Divya uh, Mannion, who's a product manager at Adobe, she reached out to myself and like the seven other women, and she sort of started the conversation and was like, what can we do? Um, originally, we were going to write a series of blog posts individually, but then after thinking about it, we thought it would have more of a, a stronger presence and reach if we actually collectively wrote something together. So that's sort of what, how that evolved. It's very strong. I mean, it goes through a lot of um, disturbing incidents. It also uh, raises the F word, which is feminism, that mm-hmm. most people are not willing to do. And, um, and it is a call to action to the industry. So Ashley has also gone through similar kinds of experiences, although probably not with um, a group of women. And she has been very vocal, at least um, in conversations and in her career in dealing with this. What, how do you respond to some of these kind of allegations that people are bullying women, that they're trying to um, take advantage of their, their being the exclusive person in the room and that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? So the title of the show is Alpha Girls. And I think that's because Sabrina and I have elected to sort of have a voice, right? And, and put forth that voice to start a conversation and a dialogue. But the reality is that I think we're sort of exceptional in that regard. Not that we're special. We're just unique in that regard that we've chosen to to actually you know, participate and start the conversation. But there are many occasions in my career where I've remained quiet and I've allowed myself to sort of accept and or tolerate. Um, and I will not use the V word for victim because that surely does not belong in the conversation aside a word as great as feminism, right? So... I, I think it's part of it is age and part of it is sort of time spent and how long you're in an environment. Right. But I think that if I look at Sabrina and where she is in her career versus myself a little bit further, it is my job to run air cover, 
right? And I think that's how we as women, this is different about this generation of women and specifically women in tech today is we have a sense of sorority that is palpable that has not existed in any other sector. And the and technology and the internet is our means by which to stay connected in our connective tissue. So I think that's something that sort of changed over time where, you know, it's, it's harder, I think, at an early stage of your career. It goes back to the conversations around leaning in versus leaning out. And if you're not part of defining a company's culture and you're not in the first stage and you're not in a leadership position, having a voice in defining what is acceptable and what is tolerable is very difficult. So, you know, it's a, it's a challenging place for young women, and I think we have to be cognizant of that. Well, you've been through, you are the CEO and founder of your company, and this is not the first uh, company that you've done. How how does that change the equation? Does that give you more power so you only have to please yourself? Does that make you weaker because you have to actually please clients? How, How does that balance of power work out? Well, I mean, right now the company, the current company that I run is a services business, right? So I'm in client services. And as a single woman... Tell us a little bit about what that is because the collective is a little confusing. Sure. So I, I started Furious Minds, uh, you know, two years ago. Um, and because I saw a gross sort of uh, underrepresentation of women in the industry and the specific area of sort of that I was in was media and the future of television and online video and this word called convergence, right? And for the first time in career, right time, right place. And I had a bunch of small companies that were typically venture back that had taken a lot of money to build an advertising revenue based business model pitching to me on the agency side of the business and they knew nothing about my industry. And I found it interesting that as a woman, although I had consciously and objectively created value, it never resulted in board or advisory invitations. And I started to look at these companies and I looked at their boards and I looked at their board of advisors and I found, again, a statistically significant underrepresentation of women. Um, Although media, for example, which is the industry to which they were selling, has a pretty great sort of, you know, percentage of women. Especially advertising. Exactly. So I, you know, I left and started Furious Minds and, uh, and I, you know, I, I had this idea of, okay, how can I make a greater impact? And I thought the most meaningful impact that I can make as an individual was to create jobs. So my co-founder um, and business partner is a dear beloved friend that has now become my business partner. And it is a blessing to work with people that you love. And then the two gals that work on my team, one is the connection of a family friend, the best friend of my mother's niece who showed up in, you know, bed with a suitcase after school. And then um, my former sort of executive assistant is now running client services because she's a rock star. So job creation, I think, is something that we have to do. And the collective just means that we're simply providing sort of interim management services instead of just ideas. I understand. So Sabrina, um, can you see yourself, one, running a company, and two, do you think this post will... I mean, I, I would imagine you'd be a little nervous posting that about feminism because it might oh, yeah. follow you around. Nothing on the web ever disappears. Yeah. You have a lot of career ahead of you. Was there some trepidation about this? Do you think you're going to end up staying on staff or, or launch your business or don't you know by now? And yeah. of course, you, you, I'm sure you, you landed here just recently, so I don't think this is imminent. Yeah, um, there is definitely trepidation. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we were originally thinking about um, writing a series of blog posts individually. And I think one of the other reasons we decided to do it collectively was, honestly, there's like safety in numbers. And it's not like each of us have to individually stand alone by certain like um, allegations we might make, but it's more like a shared experience. And I, I felt a lot better knowing that I had like these seven other women like beside me when we wrote it. So that sort of helped alleviate a lot of the fear. 
And I think we, we actually were pleasantly surprised at the feedback we got. It was mostly supportive and positive. And mostly from women? Um, from women and men, actually. I took a surprising amount of men, like a good split. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so you feel like it's put you forward as some kind of spokesperson, and that's been positive. Yeah, I think the positive response from it was, um, well, now I feel a lot more confident in speaking up because I know, like, I, you know, after the response to that article, I feel less fearful that I'm, yeah, it's going to hurt my career. I feel it's actually the opposite. And people really admire people who speak up about these things. Right. I, I was talking to a woman just last week who um, was about at your stage of a career in, in um, public relations, and she ended up suing for sexual harassment. And this was a good 10, 12 years ago, so it wasn't even more. It wasn't quite as um, accepted. And it changed her career, but she was comfortable with it. It was mm. something that um, she felt she had to do. She actually won the case, which is tends to be harder and harder as we go forward. Yeah. So I think um, I think there's probably some changes going on. Um, technology is a little hardened about it, however. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back with uh, two alpha women. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Bonjour, this is Dominique de Coq. Bonjour, c'est Tamara Zuboff. Bonjour, c'est Asania Kone. We are hosting Pardon My French New York City. Our guests come from all over the world. From Mali to New Caledonia, from Paris to Quebec. French is a common language, yet they all come from different cultures, backgrounds or countries. And their common desire is to make New York their home. Listen to them share their stories. Join us at Pardon My French New York City every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. This is uh, the Women's Playbook. Welcome back. We're talking today about uh, the difficulty and challenges women see in the technology industry. Um, in fact, just this week in, in Cannes, in France, there was a uh, conference where a number of people spoke up, including, of course, Sheryl Sandberg, about diversity in the industry. 
And numbers were released just this week. On Tuesday, for instance, uh, Yahoo released its workforce numbers. It seems 37% are women. Google, not so much. And Silicon Valley is now listening to these numbers coming out and saying, we're diverse, we're diverse, we're working, we're working. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how it goes. Um, One of the difficulties for women, and uh, these numbers reflect it, is uh, the work-life balance. And what happens when women want to have kids, they want to date, they want to get married or just live with a partner and commit to their personal lives. The the technology industry, especially when it's a startup, like any startup, is 24-7, if not (laughs) 24-8. It's it's very difficult. And so um, that kind of lifestyle and the fact that all your socializing and all your career is wrapped up in in, uh, the people you work with and the people you're seeing at the company. So, um, Sabrina, first for you, you, your ability to kind of move out of uh, the office, is that is that difficult given how much work you have and given the, the culture of the company? Yeah. I mean, in my current role, we actually have really good work-life balance. I don't think there is a culture of like work follows you home and it's it becomes your social life, but I've definitely worked in those environments in the past. And yeah, I mean, you feel like you're missing out on getting ahead in your career if you're not getting drinks or dinner with, you know, like it might be your only chance to talk to the founder that day things like that. Um, and the thing is like, I, you know, I'm pretty young and I'm single. I don't have children or other responsibilities. So I've always felt like I am, I am capable of doing those things. But what's really frustrating is when you're excluded anyway, because you're a woman and because the male founders only want to take the male engineers out for drinks or to go basically pick up women. And so you're just not even invited or given the opportunity to so that that's blatant. You know that you're excluded because, yes. oh, my God, you're a girl? Well, I guess it was never said that I was a girl, but there have been times when I've been out with male coworkers and they've gotten text messages from our male boss asking for them to go meet up with him later that night. What, one of the stories I heard um, some years ago is a CEO who said he just didn't want to hire senior women uh, for his company because he traveled all the time. And he'd have to sit next to them on an airplane, and he'd have to be down at the bar at the end of the day when and having that end of day, you know, unwind cocktail. And there would just be talk. He would have to have this tension, or people would think she was his. And she, it was just easier to hire mm-hmm. men. It was just more comfort level. His, it, it made life more relaxed for him. And that's kind of what you're saying. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, Ashley, who's been around a couple of different silos. Also, you've been abroad. You've been in Asia. You've been in Europe. You've been in Central, Central and South America. Yeah. So does this, is this rife? Is this just a theme that goes on? I think that has a lot to do with the woman that you are, your personality, you know, whether or not if you're a woman that is capable of making men feel okay about their bad behavior, right? I think that's actually an interesting sort of juxtaposition. And uh, I mean, I, I think also that I have this dialogue a lot about using your gender and your femininity in business as an asset, right? Is that is that moral? Is that ethical if I use my femininity as an asset to... Does, does that mean you flirt with a client? What does that mean? Um, yeah, maybe I do. Maybe. Sure. It's, it's a, it's gray matter. Do have I ever compromised my integrity or literally physically, like in a very literal sense, use sex to get business? Nope. Never. Nor have I done it at the office, but you know, it's no, it's no different. The analogy I make when I was in video games and I walked into a huge publisher that made one of the sort of largest, you know, the world's largest MMO PG, like the largest online game. Right. 
and uh, and they paid attention to me because I was a woman, probably because I was the first woman they've seen in, in ten years in a long time, <laughs> right? And I was wearing heels, and you know, and I was and I wasn't showing you know nothing inappropriate dress wise, but they paid attention to me. I'm not sure that that's actually my responsibility to wear a muumuu to a meeting, so that you know I sort of distract them and. I've actually, on many occasions, prevented my male colleagues from misbehaving. Either I've exited a situation, i.e. I, my industry goes to CES a lot every year, and you know Vegas is infamous for what happens there stays there. And inevitably, you're with that guy that you know is a great colleague, you enjoy their company, you do have drinks with them, you do spend quality time with them, it's great. You get to Vegas, they you know feel like there's no, no holds barred, and you're like, really? You're that guy? And they are that guy. And you have to make a decision at that moment how you handle it, right? And so I think my decision, just because of my personality, um, is that I typically, I typically prevent them instead of shaming them or embarrassing them or calling them out. I prevent them from making a bad decision, and I'm the one that takes the responsibility and puts on my big girl pants and deals with it, right? So I think that it depends on how your path of resolution is, and I don't think there's any right answer. But it all, but it affects your business. So two things: one, one is you somehow have to be more sober, if we'll put it that way, than than the guys you're with, and that's just a responsibility you walk around with. And for Sabrina, she, the question is: do you do you push forward when you're excluded, or do you say, you know what, I'll do that Tuesday. I'm not doing that on Monday. I mean, how do those decisions make work out? Sorry, can you clarify what you mean by I'll do it on Tuesday? I mean, I'm just saying I'll, oh, like I'll do it later, day. you know, some other day. I don't feel like saying, you uh, know what, I should be at that meeting with the founder or that, that party with the founder myself. I'll just go home and I'll worry about it tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, no, I've definitely tried to push forward. I mean, like, um, someone once told me that if you want to get invited to the party, you have to throw it yourself. So there have been times when I've tried to take the initiative, like, can I grab coffee with you, like, one-on-one with my boss, things like that. I've definitely tried, but, you know, and it's a pattern and it's not, the effort is never like reciprocated and the treatment is never equal. It just gets exhausting and kind of move on to greener pastures. And that's why I think, I mean, that's the, that's the, the sort of dynamic, right? The duality of it is that there needs to be women at the stage of my career in these organizations to run air cover for Sabrina, because, because if I was Sabrina's manager and I saw that exclusion, it would be my responsibility to step in and do something about that. And I think that's, that's one thing that we, as women in tech, especially in a middle management or senior management level of our career, that's our responsibility to actually be the ones to step in and assert ourselves into the situation and make sure that, that gals like Sabrina are included. Uh, yeah, I was, I was like, I completely agree with that. And one of the biggest frustrations I've had in my past job was I sort of looked around and realized, wow, I'm 20. I was 25 at the time. And I was the most senior woman in the company. There's no one to help me. Mm-hmm. Like I was pretty much I'd reached like the glass ceiling so young in that company. Well, it's it's both a credit to you and, and you know, awful for the industry. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. So um, why is it so hard in tech? What What is it about technology? Is it because it's the math and women are so allegedly phobic about it? Is it that it's so inimical to females? Is it that, in my estimation and many other people, there are simply too few role models? What, what What's going on? I, I think it's an issue of language. And we sort of talked about this prior to uh, the show. I mean, and I see this actually, I, I see this sort of construct of translation being a bit, a challenge that is happening in many industries that are in a point of change, metamorphosizing or sort of, you know, disruption, right? Like 
what's happening in pub in publishing, right? In in uh in in print in the publishing world. It's happening in advertising, right? It's happening in sort of so many dimensions right now where language is migrating from that of a legacy business, an endemic business that has been steadfast and sort of stable for, you know, a hundred years and is now becoming one of technology and three letter acronyms. But why is that inimical to women somehow? Because I think what often happens is that the the new lexicon is quite often established behind closed doors by a bunch of guys in suits, right? Or a bunch of guys in hoodies and jeans. And, you know, I, I, women are excluded. If they're excluded from the after work conversation where the back of the napkin stuff occurs, they're sure as hell not going to be part of establishing the language that actually runs that business, defines that culture and becomes part of the lexicon of our industry. So is it that we, the gender speak different languages or is it that women are not being trained? I, I think it's, it's sociological, not... It's, it's not a function. I don't think this is, I, I think this is behavioral. I don't think there's sort of some overt, you know, um, uh, lack of undertaking, right? That there's not an, a concerted effort. I mean, I just filmed a segment yesterday on my industry on a specific area that literally every panel that I moderate or I attend in every conference, I find people using the same words, regardless of gender and meaning different things. Right. So I, so I don't think it's gender specific. I just think that women that maybe have had a child and are on maternity leave for six months and come back and the organization's been restructured and now they have a CIO or a data person and where the talent mapping is totally changing and we're going from, you know, writers to sort of bloggers. Um, and you know, and you have to be able to express yourself at 120, 10 characters. Like that is a radical shift that women that are inserting themselves in and out of the workforce are going to have a hard time keeping up with. Yeah. Just Sabrina, do you feel that technology is because it's newer? That's why it's harder, which is essentially what you're saying that, it, that it's in flux and that it's disruptive. Does that ring true to you? Um, I don't know if it's that it's newer, but I definitely understand what um, you're saying about the lexicon and the language used. Like often in job descriptions for tech roles like engineering or even design, what I do, you'll see things like, oh, we're looking for a um, iOS rock star, iOS ninja. And those, yeah, like that would not be really... I think something that... Really, not a goddess, huh? Yeah. Well, it's not something that I would imagine a woman with a child would really relate to. And like just the terms that people use are a little bit loaded with traditionally masculine yeah. um, connotations. Well, the, the language is, in fact, um, geared to the young Turk, the guru, the garage, um, and the rock yeah. star. So, um, so top down, it seems to me, is where the changes have to come. I mean, Ashley is saying when you're a leader, you need to set the tone, and you're presumably doing that in your company. But, but I want to be ca- I want to be cautious and tread lightly there, right? Because I because I do you know that goes back to leaning in and Sandberg's perspective, right? Which I have great reverence for her having that book ghost, ghost written on her behalf, right? But the reality is that. Um, she established, she defined a culture, right? Yes, she did. And it's just like Marissa. A lot of people before her, but right. she, she was but, very but timely. She, but she did. She came in at a, at a place in the organization where she was an influencer, right? And in a leadership role. And if you look at Marissa Mayer, it's the same thing. She's in a leadership role. She's an influencer. She's establishing the norms and levels of tolerance. But people in the before Carly, Carly Fiorina, I mean, got nowhere. So it's not just gender. It's also timing. It's also personality. It's also the company culture that feels like they, I mean, HP was not going to change, you know, I mean, things are institutional, but I think, but I think it's also generational, right? So I go back to like, we are at a time where it's about sorority 
And I do believe that my peers and the women with whom I work right now, at least in my industry that that circles around tech and media, I mean, I am on a daily basis overwhelmed by how many amazing women that want to help one another and they're raising their hands to do so. And it's a new day because it's a different generation from the women that were to mentor me. You know, they, they had a perception of they had to forego their gender and take on a masculine role and a masculine sort of, you know, set of optics that doing business in order to succeed. And they expected every woman beneath them to have to work as hard. They'd sort of give them directions to fly the plane, but not actually teach them how to fly. It's our, it's our responsibility to create runway and to give them the keys and teach them. We're going to take a second break and we're going to come back um, with two very articulate alpha girls. Talking alternative radio, 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Power Hour, Hour. at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, this is Joanna Croats at The Woman's Playbook on TalkingAlternative.com. Join us every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. We're talking about the rising she economy and about women entrepreneurs and their growth, their triumphs, and the businesses they run, which is different than the way men run businesses. Every Thursday, 12 to 1 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. It will help you start, run, and grow your business. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Welcome back. This is the Women's Playbook, the show by four women entrepreneurs and a guide to business in the she economy. We're talking about the difficulties and challenges and, in fact, um, actual benefits and um, testimony that happens to women in technology and how they love their job and they love what they do. But somehow we have this 56% rate at which women are leaving the industry, typically when it's time for a baby, typically when they get to mid-career levels and they've had enough. <clears throat> so the numbers that were that were coming out today that came out, I'm sorry, Tuesday, that came out of Yahoo and, and other diversity kind of claims that are going on among the large technology companies in Silicon Valley, look at as if the numbers are inching up. As I said, it was 37% for Yahoo, but 
Interestingly, that does not seem to be women who are changing the culture because it has to do with women who get to a certain level and then somehow don't advance. So, Sabrina, tell us about how that works. Yeah, I think a lot of companies sort of start to focus too much on the ratio or just making that number go up. And if you actually look at where those numbers fall within the company structure, most of the women do tend to be pretty junior junior and middle management. And like we said, like change has to come from the top down. And when you actually look at the numbers there, they're pretty bad. So to me, it's like it's not just about increasing the overall number, but like getting more women in the top leadership. So what can, have you firsthand seen what happens when women get to a certain low or middle management level? And then what exactly is the dynamic? What is it about what's going on that makes them leave? Is it personal because there's not enough flex time and they can't deal with family? Is it an, uh, a, a culture that... that is not welcoming them? Is it male bosses that refuse to promote them? How does that work? Yeah, well, I think particularly with um, early startups, like startups are notorious for sort of having like the anti-structure, like we don't have hierarchy, we're really flat. And sometimes the lack of um, actual formal organization is just a way for people to get away with not never promoting you. It's like, oh, we're flat. There are no managers here. And yet the responsibility is assigned like women will never get assigned the important responsibilities, but it can get away with it because there's no formal and is there anything about women's role that is um, contributing to that? In other words, there's been a lot of talk surveys, all kinds of um, indications that women don't put themselves forward as well as men. Women, for instance, know the job better than guys, but then when they have a job interview, they don't say, I can do that. I don't know if that's true in the tech industry. I'm getting very mixed signals from, from people in the, in, in the studio here, but Ashley, you disagree. Well, I just, I think there's, there's, we, I think we have to have sort of a, we have to draw a line here, right? There are, there are girls that code, the girls that are scientists, engineers, right? The gals that are actually sort of very technical. And then there are women in leadership positions in technology driving agendas, right? Um, and thanks, um, I think that's different. So inherently engineering, uh, you know, research, writing code are very solitary activities. They're solitary jobs, right? So the opportunity to insert yourself in a management role is nothing more than, you know, pushing a spreadsheet, managing base camp and having a daily stat meeting, right? There's really not a lot of sort of human connection in regards to nurturing and managing that, which actually creates leadership skills. And I think that's one of the challenges with STEM. And that's also one of the things that I believe that, and this is the, I don't have research to pull out of my back pocket, but I would suggest as a woman at my age that is single, the opportunity to nurture a team and to watch them flourish and be part of that is one of the most rewarding parts as a female manager and leader in an organization. You don't have that fulfillment. There's no sort of, you don't get that opportunity if you're in a pure tech role because it's really not part of it, right? You're basically QA and code and looking at JIRA stats to see whether or not it works. And that's very different. What you're saying is because... I'm interpreting because women are socialized typically to be more nurturing, to be interested in relationships. They would tend to have more management skills, even though they're geek. That's a very broad brushstroke because there are a lot of really crap female managers out there. So yeah, I've I, had a few. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think women are their own worst enemy in business. It's a, it, my, I've had numerous experiences where I've saw women destroy themselves and other women and, and just damage credibility in the workplace. And, and so I, I, I don't want to make that generalization, but I do believe that, you know, from the perspective of fulfillment at work, 
there are certain things that women need and certain things just biologic, biologically they need more of as they age. They get into childbearing years. They do things like that. Like my, my team, my, my work is my boyfriend, my, you know, they're my sisters, they're my children, they're my family. Like that's my surrogate or proxy for what I don't have in my personal life. And I don't say that with shame or feeling pathetic in that. I'm very proud of that because I get so much, I get more from them than I could ever give them. Right. But you feel you're making that choice and that it's a required choice if you're going to be a CEO of a technology company, or at least at this stage of the game. No, I think, I think it's very individualistic, but I think that, I think the challenge is that if you want to, and this is not specific to technology, I think that for women in general to excel and have trajectory within organizations, large or small, you have to lead in a very male way and you have to manage in a very feminine way. It's that duality and that balance. And that's a very difficult balance to strike. So Sabrina, what, what, what do you think is, if anything is changing in terms of recognition from male bosses? Is it generational? Um, is it just that the whole culture is changing? Is technology not quite as young as it used to be? We're now kind of in, 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 adapted. So this is what the industry is about. Do you, do you see it changing? How do you deal with male bosses, for instance? Um, I mean, to be honest, like I've actually had some, I've had, you know, one negative experience with male, with a male boss, but for the most part, I've had male bosses and a lot of them have been extremely supportive. Um, and there's been times where I feel like it really maybe is a meritocracy in the tech industry because I've had some good support over the years. One thing, I guess one pattern, this is just yeah, also like a brushstroke that I'm making. I don't have data behind this, but I've noticed that the male bosses I have with young daughters tend to be a lot more respectful and supportive. And a lot of, actually, I've had male managers say this directly to me that they don't, they want their daughters to be able to go in the tech industry if that's what they want and not have to face like some of the things that I've had to deal with or that most women have to deal with today. Well, oddly enough, a survey just came out the other day about that. So (laughs) you're right on the money. It had to do with Justice Redquist and how his whole, uh, in the Supreme Court when he was there, that, that his whole attitudes seemed to have changed because his daughter kind of pushed him in another direction. So um, I, I would agree with you that in this generation or the living generation, when there are daughters who are moving into the workforce and they experience prejudice or challenges or difficulty, their dads, who are boomer at least or somewhere yeah. in there, are going to uh, change what's going on. So what's the call to action? I mean, is this just uh, um, it, it, it's interesting to me because you, Sabrina, were talking about how there are more women around and so it's changing. I've been hearing this pipeline argument for I don't know, since the 19, I don't even want to go back that far. It's just, if you get enough women in the pipeline, eventually they'll start having jobs. So they'll come up to levels of uh, leadership and you'll just have more and more women. We'll get to diversity, but it doesn't seem to happen. There seems to be um, a moment where they fall out of the pipeline or they don't get promoted or they have to have um, some choices that are, you can have a kid or you, you can have a job, but you can't be, or you can have a job that's not top of the heap. You can have a career, but not a leadership position. And by the way, it takes a village to be a CEO, you know, no question. So what's the call to action? Well, I guess it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about the ratios. And I think the pipeline thing is more about balancing the overall ratio and coming up from the bottom rather than the top. Something I guess I've personally been focusing on lately ever since um, the manifesto was posted is I've been talking to a lot of women who are interested in switching into a career in tech. And those women have more general work experience and management experience. And I think encouraging women to make that switch could be a really beneficial thing, especially for people like me who need that sort of mentorship. 
So what, what would they be switching from? From what kinds of... Because isn't this a very specialized skill? So they're going to go just back to school and learn how to code or what? Well, um, a lot of these people, women I've talked to are in adjacent fields like marketing, um, sometimes PR, um, data science, or business analytics. And I think that, like, sort of like what Ashley was saying about um, how, like, the actual technical part, you don't get that management skills and you don't learn how to do actual leadership. I think those women have the leadership skills from their other industries. And I think that they're, if they, you know, you have to learn a minimum amount of, like, how technology works. But after that, I think it's totally feasible that they could come over and bring their leadership experience. But yeah. I, so a couple just interesting stats. One is that, um, I don't know if it was the Times or where I read the article recently, but I read an article that suggested that there are more CMOs with engineering backgrounds than ever, right? Which is actually the sort of the, the reverse, opposite. Right? Yeah, yeah, the reverse of what Sabrina was saying, which I think is really interesting, which is quite is quite scary considering that a CMO is a traditionally, you know, potentially the most inviting or female-friendly C-suite role for, or other than sort of HR or talent, right? Yep. Um, and that's now being sort of dominated by engineering. And I just, just some stats. So there was an Equilar um, compensation report that was discussed in the New York Times two weeks ago. And it was a CEO comp report. And there were 100 executive of the 100 executives, nine were women, and the top was number 21. So I just, I mean, that's just... We're talking Fortune 500 type thing. Yeah, yeah. There was a cutoff on a number amount of revenue, but I just, I mean, I th- think the issue is overall that it's not just that it, it's not just that there's an underrepresentation from an absolute perspective and the numbers. It is that it is a power dynamic that wealth distribution is still even more even more than just representation it is so heavily skewed male it has such greater impact beyond the workplace and i think that's kind of what we should be concerned about and i just want to go back to like the analogy about dads and things like that ladies use that if someone misbehaves in the office and they're a father ask them if they would be acceptable if someone treated their daughter like that right well that's tough if you report to that guy i mean that's a tough you have to be this is what you were saying before that you you have a degree of caution when it comes to you know confronting someone who's a client or has power over you i mean i agree with you that would be great if you can do that but i mean do you have some suggestions for how you do that without but I, someone's I mean, I have to say most, uh, there is, there is sort of a lot of issues with managers and bosses, right? But a lot of the bad behavior is with your peers or it's, it's, you know, the sort of extended office environment. So I think that there are, and let's be clear, anytime you want to assert yourself and as a woman, you choose to remind someone of bad behavior. It is a calculated risk, right? Mm-hmm. And 90% of the effectiveness is on your delivery. Yeah. And that's your responsibility. Right. And that's something that, you know, so, I mean, practice it in the mirror. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I, this sounds so sort of pedantic and oversimplified, but like, you know, if you're, if you're going to assert yourself, then, you know, think about it. Don't let it, the, the problem is that, and this is why women get dismissed so easily is because we're always perceived to be too emotional and too reactive. So if you are going to respond and take head on bad behavior and address it, be thoughtful about it. If it's in the moment, take a deep breath, pause. If it's in the workplace, take a step back, consult women you love, but it's a calculated risk. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, perhaps Ashley, you can give us an example of um, some time and place where you were able to do that, that worked for you, which would be very instructive. 
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Hi, this is the Women's Playbook. We're back talking to Ashley Schwartz and Sabrina Majid about uh, how women in tech can uh, come to the fore and deal with the hurdles that are in front of them. It's a particularly male-dominated industry. So what's next for uh, where women are going in this industry? Sabrina, you had this about uh, feminism manifesto, and again, the F word is not something people in tech want to use very often. Um, I was impressed that you walked up to it and then went over the, you and your colleagues, over the line. What do you think will uh, be the next phase of this blog post that you and the eight women have done? Yeah, I mean, when we first wrote it, we definitely weren't expecting, like, the reaction we got or to even go any further than this blog entry. For a lot of us, it was, like, all this pent-up frustration we had, and this was our way of getting it out. But, you know, since we've gotten such supportive feedback, we've been definitely talking about ways to carry it further. Um, Some of us are working on side projects together, and I'm very grateful that, like, this blog entry sort of brought me in touch with, like, some women who I, like, wasn't very familiar with before. And now we're working on projects that follow the same theme. Um, but they're not blog posts. They're, like, actual, um, like, websites and things like that. You mean projects that are call to action? Yeah, or just things that sort of, like, raise awareness. Um, like, one thing particularly is about sexism in film. So we're making a little, like, interactive game around that. And can people sign up at all? Is there some contact info that you want oh, to divulge? We're still, yeah, we're still in the very early stages. Uh-huh. But it's, we're, I think a lot of us are sort of riffing off like ideas like that, like maybe organizing events that sort of cater to the theme. So I'm curious, did you and your colleagues do, um, what shall I call it? I guess, you know, in the nonprofit world, they call marketing advocacy because they don't like to use the word marketing, but it's the same thing. Did you and the women you were writing with 
market this at all? Did you put it out on social media? How did it raise? Yeah. yeah. Well, we started writing it and then uh, we actually got in contact with Shanley Kane, who is the editor of Model View Culture, which is a very popular blog that sort of dissects all these diversity issues. Um, and then they agreed to do a special feature of our article. So that I think was, we didn't do any marketing, I guess, outside from that. And I wouldn't really call it marketing because they originally published it for us. And it was just a good platform. Um, although interestingly, a lot of people, the, some of the backlash we did get was the fact that it was posted on that website, not to the content itself, but just people who don't like the site in general. So circling back in terms of getting that message out, Ashley was going to talk to us a little bit about how you can engage with someone who you feel is stepping over the line and or treating you in a way that is not respectful or not uh, working for you. Is there some, are there some tips or some anecdote you can give us about that? Um, yeah, I have lots of anecdotes. Uh, but the first tip I would say is that, uh, you know, one of the, I forget exactly what the bumper sticker or the quote is I used to have on my 1985 Dodge Charger when I was like 17, but it was something about, you know, you can still, a feminist is still a lady, right? So I think that grace and, and manners are not something that get thrown out the window just because someone does wrong by you or because you're a woman with an opinion or you're a little pissed off, right? So that goes a long way in being effective in the workplace. Um, great antidote for me was I was at an industry event, which was a retreat. I was invited as a speaker. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of hosts I had been talking to all night, one gentleman led a sales region, uh, in the Midwest and he had a younger client, you know, probably, probably 10 years younger than I was, got quite intoxicated and, um, ended up striking me like literally, in jest, slapping me across the face, thinking it was funny. Um, and the sales manager of the host and his, this was his client was sitting beside me when this happened. And there were other men in the room, in the area and they did nothing. They just sat there. And the gentleman to whom I had been speaking all night, the head of sales, I looked over and I said, you know what? I respect you. I'm your guest. So I'm not going to beat his ass for lack of a better term. Um, but I am going to remind you this when, as you're raising your daughters, because this is stuff we deal with every day. And we've been talking about his daughters all night, right? So like that was a poignant, salient moment that he got and he's not going to forget. But, but, you know, again, when you're reminding somebody of bad behavior, your delivery is what determines whether or not you actually get your message across versus, you know, this is something that you've just, you did, you dug a deeper hole and you've just reinforced the fact that women can't play nice and be in the workplace with a bunch of boys. Right. And I, I think I've learned that in my career because when I was younger, I was a bull in the China shop and I ran into a lot of brick walls and made a lot of mistakes and I was very prickly. It's taken me and I'm pro probably a lot of folks would still say that I am, <laughs> um, but I think I'm a little bit more savvy. Um, and I don't think that emotional intelligence is any less important than intellectual competence in the workplace for women to be successful. For sure. And Sabrina, can you see this evolving um, for you in with the women that you were writing about in terms of um, how you take on the issue? Or is it, have you been now given... I guess not just courage, but some um, re some some more fodder to go on, some ammunition to to make the case, uh, because this got such attention and it was positive mostly. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we wrote the article is we also wanted people to just feel comfortable talking about these things in general, even if it wasn't in public. We put in the article that people could talk to us directly and. I, I've definitely heard things from women who, that reinforce like my convictions. I'm like, yeah, like this is a real problem. It's not just 
it's not just the eight of us. It's almost everyone I know. So how, just to, to back up a little, how is it that you ended up in technology in the first place? Was, it, was this a childhood love? And so you had to kind of go into it and then learn that it isn't, in fact, the industry that most women go into? Yeah. Um, well, I went to college to do graphic design. Like, I was always interested in art. So I kind of came from a more visual perspective. And then when I was in school, I started taking classes in the human-computer interaction program, which is all about how humans use technology. And I think that sort of like, I've always been interested in technology, but coming at it from that sort of empathy or like more empathetic angle interested me a lot. Um, but yeah, in college, everything is a little bit more of an equal playing field and more of a meritocracy and definitely was not prepared for how things would be in the real working world. It's it's very tough. And I've been in that situation where you're the only woman in the room. And um, Ashley, I know, has, has encountered that too, and probably Sabrina as well. When When you're dealing with clients, with people who have power over you, and you said, I sometimes use my gender, I flirt, and so on, Ashley. But when you're the only woman in the room, does it, is there a, um, does it change the way you relate to them and, and uh, to the men who have power over you because they're going to give you the work or they're not? Um, no, and I want to be clear. I flirt with women too. When I say flirt, it's just actually being pleasant and right. smiling right. and having a genuine interest in what somebody else says. Sure. So. You know, I think I just want to be really clear about that. It's, it's quote, not about putting girl. my boobs in somebody's face, yeah. right? So just to sort of close that loop. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's part of sort of the realization of the alpha girl, right? So I don't. I don't in that position. I when I'm in that environment with a bunch of clients in the room, if I'm there, I'm being paid because they think that I'm the smartest person in the room. And I'm probably not, but I have to pretend to be. That's part of my job description, right? But the reality is that it's typically more uncomfortable for others than it is for myself when I'm asserting myself and I'm expressing an opinion and I'm participating as an equal at the table or a better than equal, someone that is smarter than the, you know, than everybody else at the table because I'm being paid to be. Um, it's usually other people that have more of an issue with that, but that's taken me a while. Like, you know, when I was Sabrina's age and I was sitting in, I'll never forget. I had a meeting in Panama city. It was my first meeting. I was an expat there and I was with the client and I was with the company that was employing me. And I opened my mouth and projected a cocky, arrogant opinion. And it was so inappropriate. And it was just, you know, I mean, you have those moments in your career, but you only learn the, you only, it's continuous improvement, right? You've right. got to make those mistakes. Otherwise you're not going to be mindful of them at a later stage of your Nor career. Nor is that necessarily gender. So, well, just to sum up, sev several organizations and nonprofits have sprung up uh, in recent years to change girls' tendency to walk away from STEM, math, science, engineering. This girls who code, BuzzFeed actually works with them. There's a nonprofit in Boston called Code Ed. There are girls in tech local associations, a national association with branches around the world. And it's all about giving young girls early opportunities to experience technology training. But as we've indicated throughout this hour, it's going to take a lot more than just training and talent. It's going to take leadership from the top down. For instance, uh, last summer, Yale University published a study that had been done uh, by some of their uh, researchers whereby physicists, chemists, and biologists were likely to view a young male scientist more favorably than a woman with the same qualifications. So presented with identical summaries of accomplishments of two imaginary applicants, professors at uh, six major institutions were significantly more willing to offer the man a job than the woman. And that was true of the women employers as well. And they were going to offer her $4,000 lower than, than the man per year. So again, the only way business is going to change is when leaders decide it's time to do business differently. 
and we we can see that uh, it has been proven that when women are on staff or running companies or on boards, that sales go up, profits go up, the company does better. It's an economic argument, not an ethical one, and that's important to remember. Thanks so much to Ashley Schwartz and Sabrina Majid for being here. That's Ashley Schwartz at furious-minds.com. Sabrina Majid, Twitter handle at Sabrina and aboutfeminism.me for the manifesto. Send me your comments or ideas. Email info at womensplaybook.com. Next week, Launch Labs and how accelerators are helping women. This is the Women's Playbook. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. Hour, at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. TalkingAlternative.com 